in our Advent series. Traditionally, the season of Advent looks at four uh, important words to the traditional Christian faith, and that is uh, hope and peace and joy, which we did last week, and now, of course, today is love. And then tomorrow night, our Christmas Eve service really is the traditional way that we kind of culminate and bring the Advent season to a close, and our uh, theme for tomorrow night will be Behold, which really means, as you come tomorrow night, you'll learn more, it means to look intently and to pay attention, because something amazing is about to happen. And the Advent season is a season of preparation and a season of anticipation, is it not? And so we anticipate celebrating the birth of the Savior, God, be with us, Emmanuel, And so uh, what a perfect way to celebrate that in understanding and looking at what it means to behold uh, the Son of God, the baby Jesus. And so today, our focus, the fourth in the Advent series, is love. And perhaps it's the one that can be hardest to kind of get our minds around. Because we use that word love quite a bit, don't we? And it has so many different nuances and meanings uh, maybe more so than even the other three of hope and peace and joy. But love is something we all experience, is something we all feel. It's uh, something that we have a basic understanding of, perhaps. But, of course, as always, we want to see what the Bible tells us about love. And specifically, what does God teach us, not only in His words, but what does He teach us in His character and His very nature about love. And so we always want to see application and implication. What does this word love mean to us? So today, our message, our time together will be saturated with Scripture. We're going to let the Scriptures really speak for themselves on this immense and deep topic of love. And I will talk a little bit in between them, but we're going to look at a lot of Scriptures today, which will show us different characteristics, different nuances of love, but our main verse for today is a familiar one. It is John 3.16, which many of us can quote. You've seen it all over. You see it on the big yellow sign at football games, and you see it everywhere. But John 3.16 is sort of our jumping off point today, and we will use it as our outline for looking at different aspects of God's love. So yesterday was a special day in the Wittell household, because um, first of all, my mother-in-law came in and joined us, and we uh, flew her in from South Carolina, so it's great to have her with us. What a blessing. Haven't seen her in a long time. Um, But we we do something special uh, every Christmas, and I think, you know, this is certainly a time of tradition, right? And we have family traditions. Some of you might be baking cookies. Some of you go out shopping to a certain place, so you have certain people that you see once a year. So one of the great traditions of our family is making tamales. And making tamales is uh, certainly a tradition um, from my wife's side of the family, from Honduras, and it's one that I embraced early on because I love eating tamales. Now, here's the thing. There's different kinds of tamales, but the Central American version, especially from Honduras, is... Very special, and it takes quite a long time, a big effort to put these together. It takes at least six to eight hours to make these tamales. And so I'm going to explain a little bit of the process to you, 
Uh, it won't take six to eight hours, but I'll explain it to you. Um, and there's a reason, of course, that I'm going to do that. But when we make tamales, uh, it starts with making the masa, and it is the cornmeal. And um, you have to continually stir it while it's under that low heat so it doesn't burn. So it takes a lot of elbow grease, a lot of movement. But it takes a couple of hours of doing that. And so you have to take turns. This is a big team effort. And there's all the ingredients that go into it. There's different vegetables and there's the meat that has to be cooked ahead of time. And so then there's the banana leaves that you have to, you buy fresh banana leaves. You have to steam them so they get soft. You put them on the aluminum and then you have to, to measure everything out. And then there's another special masa that has sazon in it, which is the beautiful seasoning. It makes it the orange color. And I know some of you are just like, man, I can't wait for lunch, right? And so I understand that. Stick with me just a few minutes. And, but it's a whole assembly line, a whole process to put this all together. And then after you're all done, you tie it up and then you have to steam them for a while so that the, the masa and everything kind of joins together and it's all made one. And it's so beautiful and tastes so good. And of course, our house still smells like all the ingredients of making the tamales and that's totally fine with me. And I woke up this morning and took a shirt out of the closet and it smelled like tamales. And I said... Wow, I won't even have to put cologne on today. It's just so perfect. You know when you make a special dish and the, and the house just smells of it and you love it, right? And you walk in, man, it smells good. But here's a big part of why it's a wonderful tradition is because we do it together as a family. And yesterday our eldest daughter Lauren came home with our son Luke from New York where they live. And they brought two of their friends specifically to help make tamales. And they said, come and they were planning it for weeks. They said, come on in this. We're going to spend the whole Saturday with my abuela, which is what they, they call their grandmother. We're going to um, make tamales with our abuelita and we're going to spend all day. And the girls that they brought loved it and all of our kids and we were all involved. And it was such a labor of love. It really was. Because as I'm thinking through this, you know, what a process it is to put it together. But we're all in this together, you know, and you put all the spices in there and you mix it all up and you put the sasson, the special spice in the, in the one masa. It makes it all this beautiful orange red color and all the spices and the flavorings like permeate it all. But you know what? Our time together really is much more than the actual tamale which really is very special in and of itself. Have I told you that, how much I like those? But you know what's even more special? It's the love behind it. You see, my kids love this tradition, and they love learning what it takes to do it so they can pass it on as a tradition to their families in the future one day. But it's really because of the love. It's not just the tamale, but you know what it is? It's because their abuela makes it. Their abuela spends the time with them. Their abuela shares the secrets of the recipes. And when they say, well, how much of this and how much of that and how long? And she says, I don't know. We just do it, right? But it's all because of love. See, the motivating factor behind our family loving to do this together, it's love. It's love for one another. It's love for the tradition. It's love for the connection with the previous generation, the connection with their abuela, because she does it out of a heart of love. Now, does she love to work for eight hours making this food? Maybe not, but she loves her children. She loves her family. And you understand what I'm saying. But the motivation behind all of that, that whole process is love. It's about spending that time together. It's the fact 
that their abuela loves them so much that she would take the time to make this special dish and now join in with them. And she invites them, she invites her children to join in that process. God our Father does the same thing with His love. See, His love permeates everything that He creates and all that He does. His love is the motivating factor for everything He creates and everything that He does. And just like their abuela, in everything she does, her motivation is love for her children. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much more that all that He does, all that He says in His Word that we'll look at this morning, is motivated by His love. And that's really the main message for this morning. If we remember nothing else, let's remember that. That God not only loves us, it's His very nature to love. The Word says that God is love. Do you ever think about those three words and the implications for us? It means God cannot do anything not out of love. Even when He chastises His children. Even when He has to pass judgment and discipline those He loves, He does it out of a motivation and a heart of love. And see, His love, just like the seasoning, it permeates all of it. You cannot then separate it out. There's nothing that will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's what brings us to talking about love during the Advent season. Because what greater act of love has there ever been on this earth or in the universe, in God's great universe, than Him sending us His Son? So John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Some of the texts say His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Maybe you've learned it in a different version or two, but we all understand what that means and what that that says. But we're going to look at a few of those words today in just our brief time together. What does it mean for love? And what does this verse in particular tell us about love and about the love of God? You know, I saw this sign on my way home yesterday, I think it's on Route 88, and there's a chiropractor who always puts a very encouraging sign. Some of you have seen it. And this one for this season is really appropriate. And it basically says, love the giver more than the gift. And that's really, I think, what John 3.16 tells us as well. We love the gifts from God. We love the blessings. We love the people that He blesses us with. The good health, the job, the finances. All of those things He blesses us with. We love those things. At Christmas time, we love getting gifts, don't we? We love giving gifts. But really for us, it's more about the gift giver. Right? I mean, it is God Himself. But of course, the gift for us at Christmas is God Himself. You cannot separate that out. We'll see some verses that point to that as well. But it is all bound up and all motivated from love. So let's look at the first one. For God so loved the world, right? Let's start right where it starts. God. This verse starts with God. Does not love start with God? You cannot separate out true love from God Himself. For God is love. So when we say that we love somebody, we say that we love God, we recognize it is first because our God loved us. True love. Love in its truest, purest sense. Biblical love love agape love 
originates from God. Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Doesn't John 3.16 kind of sound like that? Turn to me and be saved, right? For whoever believes in him will not perish. All the ends of the earth, it's for whoever believes, because God so loved who? Not just a few people, the world. And it says, for I am God and there is no other. So we need to always begin with God. That's a good starting point for anything, isn't it? but especially when we talk about something as grand as love. You know, it can be hard for us to even um, define and understand what we mean when we say the word, the name God. You know, when uh, Billy Graham passed away this year, um, it was, um, there was a lot talked about and there was a lot written about and somebody mentioned something to me which I hadn't thought of, but they said to me, you know, Pastor Keith, there will never be another Billy Graham. But they didn't just mean somebody of that stature and that influence, importance, but just think about the time in history when Billy Graham came along, the things that he did and the open air crusades and all of those thousands of people that he would invite and the way that he even presented the gospel that really wouldn't be able to happen today. Not because people necessarily wouldn't let it, but a big reason is the way that we communicate about God, the way that people even understand it. If you were to share your faith with somebody and say, do you know that God so loved the world? You'll probably have to stop and define which God and who you're talking about. Because people don't necessarily have that common understanding like they used to for many reasons about who God is. So it changes the way we even share our faith. If you're going to talk about sin, like why does it say that we wouldn't perish? What are we perishing from? Even if you use the word sin in your sharing of your faith, you'll have to describe and define what that means when in the past, somebody like a Billy Graham really didn't have to do that as much. You see what I'm saying? Because there's a different understanding. And so we have to even start to define which God are we talking about? The God of the Bible of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're talking about sin. How do we define sin? And what does that mean to have eternal life, eternity? And what does that look like? Do you see what I'm getting at? And so the idea is that we always need to even begin with God. No matter what time frame in history you're talking about, let's start with God. When we talk about love, we need to start with God. The God who created love, the God who loves, and the God who is himself by nature love. First John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see that? And so anyone who does not love does not know God. See how he's basically saying you can't separate the two. When we think of God, we are to think of love. So the second thing, so that verse, John three sixteen starts with God. For God, so what? What did he do? He loved the world. Now let's stop there for a second. The word so doesn't mean a lot. We kind of read it that way, but it doesn't really mean God loved the world so much. He couldn't love the world anymore. But it says God so loved the world, what that means is what's coming next. He loved the world in such a way, this is what he did. That's what the word so means. So it's God loved the world so, meaning God loved the world in this way. What did he do? He loved the world that he did what? He gave, right? But let's start with the world so god we start with god that god so loved the world that shows the extent of his love 
It is His everlasting love from beginning to end. His love is not selective for just a handful of people. His love is for all the world, all His creation. For God so loved everyone. For God so loved the world. No one excluded. There's a great implication there for us. Aren't we then called, if we are now children of the God of love, to love everybody else unconditionally and always? Right? That we are to love. We are to love those who are difficult to love. We are to love those who, as it's been said, maybe aren't so lovely. We have people like that in our lives, right? Don't look around. You don't have to be. You don't want people to think you're looking at them. But we are to love. God so loved the whole world, we are then to love too. We start with God, and He is the example. We say He loved the whole world. That's the extent of His love. It is never-ending. It's all-encompassing, and therefore our love should be also. But also, isn't that a, a great comfort to us that God loves us completely? He doesn't just love us when we're good. He doesn't just love us when we're obedient. And that should be a great comfort to us, right? What a blessing that is to know that God loves us. Yes, thank you, Jesus is right. We'll see some other verses, right? That um, we see it right here. Romans 5, 7 through 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but... God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, that's how God shows His love for us. His motivation is the fact that He is God. His very nature is love. He loves everyone and He loves us even in our sinful state. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to clean ourselves up and believe in Jesus for then God to love us. Is that not awesome? And is that not good news? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The ultimate example and gift of love. God giving us Christ. Now Christmas we celebrate and remember His birth, His first advent. But we also look forward in the future to what we call His second advent. His return and His coming. But we know at the end of His first advent, His first earthly life, when He came here the first time, He will come again in bodily form to rule in His kingdom. But at the end of His first earthly reign and life, He died. He died on the cross. He died for us while we were still sinners. That is the extent of God's love. For God so loved the whole world, and that includes us, while we're yet still sinners. So you cannot say, I am too bad for God to love me. I have done too many terrible things. There's no way God could forgive me. I understand why we might feel like that, but it's not the truth. And it's not what God teaches us through Christ in the Scriptures. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God, who is love, loved everyone, the whole world, to the greatest extent possible, no one excluded. Then what did He do? He gave. He gave. He gave His only Son, but let's park right there. He gave. What does it mean to give? I mean, at Christmas time, we give gifts, right? 
So we understand the premise behind that. We go out and we buy gifts and we think of people and we think of how they're special to us. And, you know, we make a list maybe ahead of time. If, um, if you're like me, you just you try to make that list so you can keep track of who you're buying what for. But it helps you to think of people in a special way. But why? Because you want to bless them. You want to give. It is that act of giving. Isn't that so fun? When you wrap something up and you just know how excited that person is going to be. You can't wait for them to open it. Now, some of you, you buy gifts and it's really hard for you to wait until Christmas morning. Not only to open one, but even give it because you're so excited about the expression on their face and how much they're going to love it because there's such a joy in giving. Can you even fathom the fact that God was showing the greatest love and even had such a joy, which we can't even understand, in giving His Son because He did it for us, because He is love. Again, we can't wrap our minds around it, but Scripture teaches us that it is so. That God so loved the world that He gave. He gave us the greatest gift humankind has ever seen. Christmas time is for gift giving. That's why we do it. That's why we do it, because it is a reminder of God giving us His gift in Himself, His Son Jesus. But when we give, it means that you are passing on Something that you own, that you have, that you have possession of, willingly to another person. We don't often think about it that way. But when you're giving a gift, when you go and buy the gift, that is your gift. You own that until the other person opens it up. So when you are giving a gift, you are willingly, voluntarily, handing over possession of something that you rightfully own And you are then giving, not out of compulsion, not because anybody told you to do it, but you are willingly giving something you paid a price for to somebody else and say, here. And that person, all they have to do to receive it is to reach out and say thank you. And they open it up. What a beautiful picture of us receiving Christ when we believe. The greatest gift that God has ever given. So there is this act of giving because God is a loving God. And there's an aspect of God as the greatest gift giver. God is a giver. He loves to bestow His gifts on His children. Parents, don't we love to do that? I mean, it's just something about giving gifts to children. And that is like our Heavenly Father. Giving us gifts, the greatest being His Son, Jesus. And then He continues to bless us over and over. But He is giving something He has possession of. It's actually Himself. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, giving Himself. He had every right to all the glory and all the riches of heaven. And He paid the price. All that it cost, Jesus. God paid that price through His Son, Jesus. And then freely gives that gift. That we don't have to earn it. We don't deserve it. But it is a sacrifice. That's where we go next. That He gave who? His only Son. His only begotten Son. Begotten, not made. That Jesus is God. That's what it shows us. Begotten means that Jesus is God. Colossians 2.9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. It says it right there. For in Christ... All the fullness, you can't get any more, 
of the deity, meaning that it is God, lives in bodily form. That is the miracle of Christmas, the incarnation, Emmanuel. It is God with us. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the Word, meaning God, who is Christ, became flesh and He dwelt among us. The love of God is a sacrificial love. The love of God means that He gave up something that He truly treasured. His Son. His only begotten Son. But He did that for us. His love is sacrificial. Church, we are then to love others sacrificially. But you know what it means to do something sacrificially? It means it's supposed to hurt. It means it will hurt because you're giving up something that you treasure and that you adore, that you cherish and that you love and you're giving it up. God did that for us. Again, there's no way to even to just plumb the depths of the love of God. Just scratching the surface today, but can we get just a little bit more of a glimpse of the true nature of God's love through John 3.16? That He not only gave, but He gave sacrificially His only Son. Sacrifice is when you give something up that you love and that you cherish. Our love, brothers and sisters, for one another and for the world around us is supposed to be sacrificial. Like a parent to a child, like the Heavenly Father to His children through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sacrificial love. Two more. So He gave His only Son that whosoever or whoever does what? Believes. So let's stop right there. Whoever believes. It's not whoever does the best job. It's not whoever earns the most brownie points. It's not whoever works the hardest. It's whoever believes. And this is so important that we understand this. It's whoever believes. I want to take a minute or two to read to you from John 3 and then Numbers 21. We want to see this beautiful picture. You're going to see the scene here in a moment. This picture of what it means to have to just believe. To simply believe for us to then have eternal life. As John 3.16 says, For whoever believes, not just some, for God loved the whole world, it's whoever does what believes. John 3.14-15 And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Does this sound like familiar words? Why? Because this is John 3, 14 and 15. You know, we know John 3, 16 so well, don't we? Do you ever stop and read John 3, 14 and 15? Or how about 17 and 18 and 19, right? What's the context of John 3, 16? Well, we know Jesus talking um, to the religious leader, and he's talking to him, and, and he's being asked what that looks like. We're not going to look at that whole passage, but... How is it I can be born again? And John goes, um, Jesus goes on to, to explain and tells him. And part of that, he, he says, remember Moses, just as Moses was lifted up 
uh, as he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that's how I need to be lifted up. So whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So here's where that comes from. In Numbers 21, here's the story if you're not familiar with it. And the people spoke against God and Moses. They were grumbling as they often did. The people of Israel. The people spoke against God and against Moses. And here's what the people of Israel were saying to Moses. Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. (laughs) So basically what they were saying was, it was kind of better for us as slaves back in Egypt. We had these big pots of meat and we had some food and they're grumbling saying, yeah, we're free, but now we got nothing to eat or drink. Right? And they're complaining. And, and um, so here is what it says. Verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. That'll teach them to complain. <laughs> and they bit the people, the serpents did, so that many people of Israel died So then the people came to Moses and said, Moses, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us so they are repentant for their disobedience and their complaining. So Moses prayed for the people. In verse 8, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses did that. He made a bronze serpent in a replica of the ones that were biting and killing the people. He set it on a pole. And if a serpent were to bite anyone, that person would look at the bronze serpent and would live. Amazing. An amazing event in the history of the people of Israel. And Jesus recounts that for His listeners and His disciples and says, just like Moses lifted up that serpent, and everybody who just looked at that serpent was saved from the venom of the fiery serpent, he says, that's what has to happen to me. Lifted up on the cross is what he's talking about. But why? Why is he, why is he alluding to the fact that he is like that, that serpent that Moses is lifting up? Why? Because all you have to do is believe. You look, you behold, and you believe. And then those who were bitten would be saved. Those who are infected with sin need only believe and we will be saved. What a beautiful picture of God's grace. We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But we believe. Just like Jesus said. So to look at, it means to believe in Him. See, love is lifted up. God's love is lifted up. It takes humility won't look at the whole thing but philippians 2 a great passage 1 through 11 about the humility of christ how he lowered himself humbled himself even to death on a cross so that what so then it says that god exalted him you see that so love is humble love starts with a humble heart god will then lift that up what also a beautiful picture of the resurrection just as jesus was lifted up on the cross and all we do is believe We know that Jesus then, three days later, defeated death, rose from the grave, and because He is risen, we look forward to our resurrection as well. To life! And that is our last thing that we look at. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him 
will not perish. That's the negative. But the positive is, will have eternal life. So it leads to life. God's love, this is our last point, God's love leads to life. But it leads to not just a new life here on this side of heaven, but to life eternal, being in the presence of our God forever. So God's love means for us nothing short of eternal life. That we would not perish or die from our sin, just like those who were bitten by the fiery serpents out in the wilderness. They just had to look and believe. And then they were saved from that venom. That venom was taken from them. You see, when we believe in the Lord Jesus, then that sin nature that separates us from God is removed as far as the east is from the west. And to that we say hallelujah. It is a spiritual birth. Yes, we still have these earthen vessels, these jars of clay. We look forward to that day when we receive our, um, our glorified bodies. But our spirit has been made new. It is a spiritual rebirth. Remember when Nicodemus is asking, and what does that mean? I have to go back to my mother's womb. And Jesus says, no, it is a spiritual rebirth as the spirit. Because our spirit, God is spirit, and it is our spirit that connects with our maker, our God. And so our spirit is made new. Love is being in His presence, His spiritual presence. See, the incarnation, the miracle of Christmas, is that God gives us a visual sign, a visual sign to His people of His love. Now, He is no longer walking in the earth among us, but yet we still know of His love. We have His Word, which is also eternal. And we have His love. So we, yes, we see, well, what does love look like? We can't see it. God blessed His people by intervening in history and taking on flesh so that there was a visible sign of His love. But Jesus says, you won't be alone. I will return one day, but until then, you have the Holy Spirit. John 3, 1-6, I'll read it. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We know the story. The man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, We know you're a teacher, you come from God, and no one can do these signs unless um, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? See, he is thinking flesh, carnally. He's thinking earthly. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter that kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. We are made new for eternal life in God because of His love. And then wrapping up, we are then called to love others. John 15, 9-17. As the Father has loved me, beautiful words of Jesus, so have I loved you. So abide in my love. It means stay close, stay in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my, my, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's His commandment to His disciples, to us, that you love one another 
as I have loved you. So we take that great, perfect love of God, and we are then to love others. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for servants. The servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have now called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I make known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to the disciples that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide in me. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, once again he says, so that you will love one another. I think he made it clear, Jesus, didn't he? As he builds the church, and that's us, that he's building us up in love, we are then to love one another. It is a fruit then of the Spirit, isn't it? Galatians 5.22, won't look at it, but what does it say? For the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love. I think there's a reason it's first. Yeah, maybe it's just conjecture, but there's a whole long list. Love, peace, patience, kindness, right? But the first one is love. There's a reason. Remember, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not our fruit. It's the Holy Spirit's fruit. So in our obedience, we foster this environment in our life and our heart for the Holy Spirit to do His thing, to exhibit His fruit in us to the world around us. See, that's the idea, that we are then to be attractive to the world because we are exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's how God, through Jesus, builds His church. I mean, just like a fruit tree is attractive, right? The fruit is a certain color, it attracts. It's sweet, it smells, it has an aroma. We're supposed to be like that church. We are supposed to smell as good as tamales do. See? That's the idea. If only tamales would grow on trees. But here's the thing. We are then to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit as we obey. God is what Jesus is teaching. People will then be attracted and say, why are you different? You know, I'm always depressed. And you see the news, the world around us. Why do you have joy? Why are you like this? Why do you go to church? Why do you hang out with these people? What is it that's different about you? There will be something in you. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. As we obey Him, that fruit is exhibited. It will be attractive to other people. And the very first fruit is love. It is superior to all other gifts. And finally, I'll end with this. 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, we couldn't talk about love, right? We don't talk about 1 Corinthians 13, but let me put it in context. How many of you realize that this passage is really part of a longer passage where the Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual gifts? Talk about spiritual gifts because in the church, evidently, they had a problem. Which one was, which one was uh, superior? Which one was better? Which one should we, you know, should we seek out? Which one should we not be looking at as, as important as others? And so Paul is going on for a few chapters about spiritual gifts and their importance and priority in all them. And so right in the middle of that, 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love. But why? Because he is saying, look, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the first one, and we are to seek love above all else. So I will read it. We've heard it many times, and we often hear it at weddings, right? The wedding we went to last week, we heard it, and it's so appropriate. But this is about God's love, which then should translate into our love for one another. Yes, in a marriage union but in any relationship first with us and god and then with others for are we not called to love god and love others when jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment he says love the lord your god and then of course love others 
And he says, everything else is wrapped up in that. Isn't that beautiful? Everything else is wrapped up in those two things. Love God, love others. It's about love. Love God, because He is love. That's where you get the source of love. And then because you love God and He loves you, you accept that love through Christ, you can then love others. So Jesus said, you want to wrap up all the law and the prophets and everything? Let's talk about love. Love God and love other people. So we receive it. It's that vertical relationship. But then we let it flow into our horizontal relationships. Receive the love from God and then we are to love others. And that's, we wrap up everything in that. Just like John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Right? Beautiful picture of the gospel. So, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Some of your Bibles entitle it, The Way of Love. It's a beautiful picture. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, if I understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, what does Paul say? I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The source of everything, the motivation behind it all is love. For love is patient and love is kind. Here is a series of things about love. It's patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't even boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not selfish. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But then here's the positive side. But love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. For love never ends. And then we skip down to verse 13. So now faith and hope and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. How beautifully poetic, written, worded by Paul. These are wonderful things. Now I'm going to suggest to husbands and wives that when you're in an argument that you don't kind of use this and say, you know, love is patient and kind. It doesn't have your but It's not irritable resentful but this is the love of god but then he goes on to the positive things you know what love rejoices in the truth love love is all about the truth and love bears all things no matter what it is that comes your way love will bring you through it because it's god's love it believes all things it provides hope for all things it endures all things for god's love is everlasting and enduring Love never ends. There is no beginning to God. There is no end to God. And if God is love, then therefore there is no beginning to love. There is no end to love. But we look to God for love. So we are to love God and love others. It is His very nature. All He does in your life, your life specifically, all that He does is motivated by love. You might not feel it, but it's true. Remember, every step of the way, all that God does is motivated by His love. So church, how about you? Is everything that you do in relation to other people motivated by love?
Or are the thoughts that we think, the things that we do, are they motivated by love? They're called to be because we're to be a reflection of our Father as His children. So if God is love, we are to be children of love. Are we not? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love. We, we can't even truly understand the depths of what it means that You are love. But God, we want to learn. We want to grow in our love of You and of each other. Help us to learn it more and more. God, just help us to just take a morsel of what You taught us today from Your Word about love. That it is patient and kind and You are patient and kind towards us. We are forever grateful for that, for sure. Thank You that while we were yet sinners, You died for us. What an amazing act of love. And at this Christmas time, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for um, what it meant to the world at that time, some 2,000 years ago, and what it means to us today, to us individually and to our world. May we take that great message of Christmas, that God so loved the world that He gave us His Son. And Lord, we thank You for that. We also look forward to His second coming, that You gave Him to us. He is back with You. He will return for us. His church, His bride. We're grateful for that. What a great hope that is and joy it is for us. But God, may we always be motivated by love. And may that love come from You. May it never be selfish or arrogant or boastful. But it is patient. It is kind. It is everlasting. It is enduring all things. Help us to bear and endure all things in Your love. And God, through it all, you will get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.